happy, empty tomb. Amen. If it were not for that fact, the church that we enjoy, uh, that we are part of, would not exist. Uh, The existence of the church is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection. So good morning, and it is one of those days where everybody just comes anticipating, I don't know what you brought in with you, I don't know what heaviness, uh, what concern, what anxiety, uh, whatever it is that you brought, know this, Jesus is alive. Absolutely, absolutely. And if he can conquer death, then your problem is very small. Amen? Amen. So let's do this. Uh, It is our practice to go through and actually read the Word of God together. Today we'll be in John chapter 20. I know many of you uh, are familiar with bringing your Bibles here. Many of you may not be, so what we have is Bibles to hand out to you. So if you would like a Bible to read for yourself then just put your hand up nice and high. The guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, and after the service you're really impacted by the Word of God, uh, then you can feel free to keep the Bible that you're given today. Uh, Just leave your address so we can send you a bill later. No, I'm kidding. You can keep it. Don't use it as a doorstop. Don't use it as a paperweight. Uh, Read it. It is worth your time. So John chapter 20 is the first place you'll mark. Uh, If you're not familiar with getting in and around your Bible, it is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. So head yourself toward the end of the Bible in the New Testament. And you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the gospel of John. Uh, if If you need to, you can turn to the table of contents in your Bible in the front. That'll tell you what page uh, the gospel of John is on. The second place is farther toward the end of your Bible, and that's 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you just want to put your child's finger in there or a piece of paper or something to mark that spot, we'll come back to it. John chapter 20 and 1 Peter chapter 1. And I will pray and we'll be getting into John chapter 20. Heavenly Father, even just coming here this morning and even praying to you would be fruitless if you were dead or non-existent. But we believe differently, Lord. We believe that you are alive. And we believe not only that you're alive, but that you are working in our lives, those of us that believe, and you're working in lives of those that don't believe, to bring them to belief. Lord, I believe that, uh, that you have drawn all of us that are here this morning together, not by coincidence, but by design. And I pray that as we lift you up this morning, that you would draw people to yourself, even people that came in today uh, skeptical, came in today uh, as a favor to a friend or a relative or a spouse, I pray that you would sneak up on them today, Lord. Catch them by surprise. Touch their hearts. Open their eyes. Change their lives. And for those of us that believe, Lord, I pray that you would continually remind us that every day is Easter. That the resurrection causes us to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For our labor is not in vain, 
because you're alive. So Lord, have your way in this service this morning. I pray that your spirit would come in power and bring the word to life. And I pray this in the name of the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and all those who believed, said with a hearty, hearty voice, amen. Amen. There's the hearty voices down here. Very good. You guys get the hearty voice award. It's been my practice recently to often begin the preaching time with a question. And so I I will ask a question of this group. Have you ever been scammed? Anybody here been scammed? There there are no lack of scams these days. There there is a love of money in the world and and, and no problem with lying. People lie like uh, like they're telling a story, uh, whether it's true or not. It's, It's just easy for people to lie these days. And so we find ourselves faced with scams. You know, it could be a weight loss scam. And if you hear a, an advertisement that tells you that you can sit home, watch TV, eat potato chips, and, and, and lose 30 pounds, it's probably not true, is it? If it sounds too good to be true, probably is, as the saying goes. Well, I'm particularly susceptible to some scams. Those are the hair loss scams. They know how to get us right where it hurts, don't they? I mean, they know, our, they know our weaknesses. They know our desires. And so, you know, you can take this snake oil or rub this thing on. And a guy in the church was telling me about tomato juice a number of years ago. And, and so, you know, I think he's just trying to embarrass me. But uh, the, the, the things, when our heart desires something, we tend to be particularly susceptible to being scammed because there's something in us that it touches. It's, if it's not weight loss or it's not hair loss, it could be uh, profit, money. Hey, get rich quick. If you just do this, then you can get rich quick. If you buy my book, if you take this plan, if you invest in this thing in Nigeria or Nicaragua or wherever it is, you know, then you can get rich quick. And there's something in this, oh, I'd like to get rich quick. I mean, working is too hard. I'd rather get rich quick. And so we're susceptible to scamming. And, and if you've been scammed, like in the past I've been scammed, I think it breeds in many of us a general skepticism about a lot of things, doesn't it? I think we're getting more and more skeptical about people's claims. And I think that can be a good thing in some ways to always investigate. I was telling my son the other day, we were on our way home uh, in the car together, and I said, son... Question everything. And he said, why? (laughs) I'm telling your mother. (laughs) Don't get smart with me, kid. (laughs) Question everything. I think it's good to want to see, to want to know for sure. And again, that skeptical part of us. And so I appreciate... People that are skeptical. If you come in here this morning, and here we are, Easter service, we're celebrating this thing called the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you're going, I just don't see how it can happen. I just don't understand. I, I, medically speaking, uh, scientifically, I, I don't get it. And if, if I don't get it, I'm not sure I can believe it. And you know what? I appreciate that. I appreciate that you're not willing just to pretend to, to make people quiet, to get your spouse to leave you alone, to, get the, you know, to keep your relatives happy, that you're not willing. You'll appreciate Thomas in John chapter 20. 
Because I like Thomas. He's not willing just to, to condescend, to, to say outwardly that he believes when he really doesn't. And so we're in, in John chapter 20. And the issue we'll be looking at is, is after the resurrection, Jesus appeared some five times uh, bef- uh, during this, this initial period here uh, and appeared to up to 500 people at one time, at one point. But the issue we're looking at is, is Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas, don't we? You've heard of him. I'm not sure that's a fair name for him. Uh, unbelieving Thomas would work for me. Uh, we know very little about him in a general way. There's only a few passages in the Bible where we hear him speak. In John chapter 11, Jesus had already been threatened to be stoned to death. And, and now he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And the disciples are saying, oh, you know, they're trying to kill you there, Jesus. And Thomas pipes in and he says, let us go that we may die with him. He's pessimistic, right? He's not, you know, let's go and see what happens. Maybe it'll be all right. He's, so he's a little pessimistic, I think, but nonetheless courageous, right? I mean, he's willing, hey, let's go. We'll go and we'll die with him. He's all in. If we're going to die, we're going to die with him. Then in John chapter 14, when Jesus talks about uh, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, he talks about going to prepare a place for us, for them, and he says, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And, and Thomas chimes in, and he says, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. I, I, need, I need a map. I need, can I Google it or something? How, we don't know, Lord. And that's when Jesus offers that wonderful response, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So sometimes asking questions is a good thing, because questions bring answers. And Jesus is not afraid of your questions. So Jesus then gets crucified, and they all see it, and he's buried. And the disciples scatter. On Easter morning, the women come to the tomb, and it's empty. This is not what they expected. This is not what they were anticipating. And they begin to to tell people. They tell the disciples. And we pick up in, in John chapter 20, in verse... 18, we read, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And then verse 19, then the same day, this is the same day of the resurrection, this is Sunday, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you, which was the Jewish greeting, shalom. I would have said like, boo, or surprise, or something like that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm back from the dead, man. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to milk that. But he says, shalom, peace. Now, why were they hiding? Back? They were behind locked doors. Now, it's a mystery how Jesus got in. Now, some have... Uh, postulated that now in his new resurrected body, I mean, he was physically there, he's able to speak. They could see him. But somehow, boundaries, material boundaries don't hold him. Some speculate that, the, that his, his resurrection body was able to move in different dimensions that we don't understand. I don't know. And the Bible doesn't explain that to us. All we know is he's there, and they're there because they're scared. 
They're not there because they're, they're praying. I mean, maybe, maybe they are praying, but they're scared. We know that. Is it that Jews are particularly scary people? I mean, for fear of the Jews? They, they crucified Jesus. They'd attempted to stone him. And now these guys are connected with him. They're thinking, we're next. They're coming after us next. And so they're huddled there. They're scared. And, and Jesus shows up. And he says to them, Shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, when Jesus had appeared to Mary previously right there at the garden tomb, Mary didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. So it was Jesus, but something about his resurrected body was different. And again, we don't understand this fully. But nonetheless, she didn't recognize. She thought, hey, this is the gardener. Maybe it's because she wasn't expecting to see him. You know how when you're not expecting something, like you see someone out of context? You meet them, it's someone you go to church with, but you see him in the mall, and you're like, I know I know you from somewhere, but it's out of context. It could be that she wasn't expecting to see Jesus, so she didn't anticipate seeing him. Uh, It was surprising. But he says to her, Mary. And she gets it. She sees who it is. She knows it's Jesus. Well, so to identify himself specifically to the disciples, the, the mark, he doesn't say, look at me, guys, I'm glowing. Look at my crown. Look at the halo. He says, look at my hands. Look at my side. The hands where the, the spikes, the nails went into the wooden cross as he hung on the cross, gave up the spirit and died. Look at my Look at my hands. Look at the scars there. Look at the, the spots where those nails were. Look at my side. That's where they saw the Roman soldier pierce his rib cage into his heart. And blood and water came out. And he shows them hands and the side. And then what did they say? The disciples, verse 20 says, were glad when they, when they saw the Lord. I think that's the understatement of the century. Right there. They were glad. I bet, I bet they were astonished, confused, excited. You know, what does this mean? What, is it, what does this mean for us? Where does this go? Where does this end? I mean, what's going on? Verse 21 uh, through 23, I'm not going to get into depth on. I'm just going to read it to show you the importance of this meeting that Jesus had with his disciples. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. I also send you. So he says, I'm commissioning you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like in in the first chapter, uh, or excuse me, the second chapter of Genesis where God forms Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathes into his nostrils and Adam became a living being. So it's sort of, uh, some would say this is when the disciples were truly born again when the breath of of Christ was uh, breathed on them for new life. So um, he breathes on them, says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now that doesn't give the disciples the opportunity to say, You know, I don't think I'm going to forgive your sins. I don't think Jesus wants to forgive your sins. They get to say, Hey, if you believe, your sins are forgiven. And if you don't believe... Your sins are not forgiven. They get to be the uh, encouragers of forgiveness and help people understand that forgiveness comes through not working for it, not 
doing works that are equated to how much bad you've done, but through what? Belief. Through believing. So, it was, would you say that was kind of a good meeting to be part of? I mean, wouldn't you have liked to have been there? To have Jesus himself breathe on you and tell you receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, that, that was a good meeting. So, now verse 24 tells us that Thomas called the twin. He had a, he had a twin brother. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So all that wonderful time, Thomas missed it. Now, why did Thomas miss it? We don't know. Did he oversleep? Was he watching his favorite tea? Maybe Scrubs was on. And he didn't want to miss that. And so, no, you guys go on without me. I'm going to stay here. Or maybe Thomas was too upset. Remember, Thomas was either all in or, or he was not in. He said, hey, I'm willing to die with this guy. I, I believe in what he's saying. And so now Thomas finds himself after the, the crucifixion, maybe thinking, what a waste. It was a scam. I got scammed. I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I fell for it. I thought he was who he said he was. But now, who knows? I've wasted three years of my life following this guy. And now he's dead. He missed the meeting, didn't gather. And, and it's a similar thing that's true today. And, and I, know, uh, I know life is busy. And I know life happens and you've got kids and schedules and, and events and distractions and all kinds of stuff. We're here every Sunday morning going through the word of God. God speaking to us, changing our lives, transforming. The word of God, the Bible says, it's living and powerful. And I say amen to that. And sometimes you don't feel like coming. It's a rainy Sunday morning, and I commend you guys for pulling it together this morning and grabbing the kids and tossing some clothes on, putting some cereal in a bowl, just so you can get here to be blessed by God. Because this is, we are, this is the body of Christ, part of the greater body of Christ. And, and there's been so many times where I didn't feel like it. And for whatever reason, Thomas didn't feel like it. Maybe he was grieving. He said, I don't feel like it. And he missed it. And there's so many times where, where you say, you know, I don't feel like it. I'm not sure. I've, I got, I, this is my only day to sleep in. And you miss it. And Jesus shows up. And sometimes when you're here, you know, we can't, we're not going to send out an email that says, oh, today's going to be a really good Sunday. Steve's going to be funny this week and he's going to be on. You know, not like last week when he was really flat and didn't do a good job with the passage. That was last week. But this week coming up, we just know it's going to be awesome. God doesn't tell us which weeks he's going to touch us, which weeks are going to be particularly special. It's always special when we get together, but sometimes he keeps us waiting. John MacArthur said to, to a group of preachers and pastors, said, you know, you, you hope that you're good once, because then people come back hoping that the next time will be another time when you're good again. So they keep anticipating it. But the Spirit of God is always good. And I can't tell you, that when people, sometimes when you're here, you'll come up to me and you'll say something. When you said this, this is what really touched me. And I said, I never said that. The Spirit of God was talking to you. I, I never said that. And when you, but, but it happens here. It happens in the corporate meeting. Jesus encouraged us to continue to gather together. Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. And especially as the times draw closer for his return. Amen. And so Thomas 
missed the blessing because he missed the meeting. And I want to encourage you today that all the things that you're wrestling with and you say, well, I don't understand how being at church can, can help what I'm going through. And you never will understand unless you don't miss the meeting. Just like you're here today, you watch as God will speak to you through his word. It's powerful and it's beyond understanding. So Thomas called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. And I pray that that's not said of you. Man, when we get blessed, I pray that you're here to enjoy all the blessings that you can because Jesus shows up, blesses us. And you go home going, you know, I'm so glad I went. Have, have, maybe you won't, won't be willing to admit it here, uh, but typically people will say, you know, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to come, but after it was over, I was so glad that I did. Right? Have you heard that before? Maybe you've said that yourself. I didn't really want to go. I felt like there was a battle going on. I, I didn't, like it was a struggle to get there, but you know, afterwards, I'm so, I, I'm so glad that I went. And Thomas missed it. So the other disciples, uh, therefore, said to him, and, and literally, it's, they kept saying, they kept saying to him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas, we've, they nagged him all week. They, they nagged him. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. They kept saying it. And some of you, you're here because this is just like Easter, and that's what you do one time a year, or maybe Christmas too. You show up at church because your spouse or your kids or somebody wants you to be here. And they've been, they keep telling you, you know, oh, it's great, it's great. I just, oh, I love being there. It's, the church is awesome, and the Lord shows up, and I'm so blessed when I go, and then really Jesus shows up there, and, and you just keep here. And that's what they were doing to Thomas. So, so those of you that, are, that understand that, that's, when you're excited about the Lord, when you, when you have that experience with God, you just tell people. So we're not trying to nag you or we're not trying to, it's not a scam. Not like we're trying to get you to believe because we feel bad if you don't. It's because we're excited about what we've seen and experienced in, in church. What we've experienced and what we've been part of. And so they keep telling him, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. These are ten of his closest friends. They've been walking together for three years. That would have been enough for me. I'm a trusting kind of person. Not everybody's a trusting kind of person. And it's hard to know exactly what Thomas is going through mentally, but this is his response. So he said to them, unless I see, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in to the print of the nails, which to me is a little bit gross, but that's what he says. I wonder if he's exaggerating. I don't know. Uh, unless I see, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, he says, I will not believe. And maybe those are some words that have come from your mouth. Well, if the Lord showed up and I could see him and he spoke to me in my bedroom, then I, but unless that happens, I will not believe. And, and again, I'm not going to get all Greek on you here, but you have to understand this. In, in the Greek language that this was written in, there's two Greek words that are put together uh, by Thomas. Ume, ume, and it's a double negative. Now, in English, a double negative cancels itself out. It's a positive. But in Greek, it intensifies it. And what it means, literally, is it's not possible. That what is being said is, is, is not going to happen. It's not possible. That's that emphatic, 
double negative. It's strong. Very, Thomas says, I, I will not, I'm not able, it's not possible for me to believe unless I see, unless I experience. And, and maybe some of you have said that. Some of you have said, I just can't make myself believe. I just can't get there. And maybe you're scientific like Thomas. I need some evidence for myself. Well, you know who was listening to that? Well, the disciples were listening to that. But you know who else was listening to that? Jesus was listening to that. Jesus heard exactly what he said. Jesus knew exactly what emotional state he was in. Jesus knew exactly what was in his heart at the time when he spoke that. The Bible says God knows the words before they even leave our tongue. He knows our very thoughts. I want some evidence. I want to be able to touch. I want to be able to experience for myself. A personal testimony wasn't enough for Thomas. What other people said wasn't enough for Thomas. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. I love to see how they got him there. Did they guilt him there? I mean, how did they? Maybe the same way some of you, they drag, they drug him there. You just got, Thomas, come on, just come, Thomas. I don't care what time Scrubs is on. You got to come. And this was the disciples met in the evening. Sunday evening was their typical meeting time. So eight days go by, which is uh, accounted Sunday to Sunday. So it's the following Sunday evening when they get together. And so for eight days, the truth was the truth. But Thomas didn't believe it. So for eight days, the disciples enjoyed knowing that Jesus was alive. And that was true. Although Thomas, for eight days, did not, uh, was not able to enjoy the truth because of his skepticism. So eight days go by. Now Thomas is there, and Jesus gives him a second chance. Just like some of you today may be getting a second chance. You've rejected, you've rejected, you've rejected. Your heart is growing harder. And now you're hearing God speak to you today. Uh, and just like Thomas, giving a second chance, another chance. Jesus came again, the doors being shut. And he stood in the midst and said, peace to you. It's almost like deja vu. I mean, it's the same thing that happened before. He says, shalom, peace to you. And then where does his gaze go? Not to all of them. Goes right to Thomas. And, and you might say, Pastor, I felt like you were looking right at me. And he says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas, you were asking for some evidence I've got some evidence for you. Go ahead, Thomas. Touch me. Go ahead. Experience it for yourself. Reach your hand into my side. Now, if I was there, I'd have been on the floor. You guys know me. I'm squeamish with blood and all that stuff, but I'd have been on the floor. I don't need to touch that. Uh, I'm good. Reach your finger here, Thomas. Experience it for yourself. And he says... Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Now, again, that might be better translated, stop becoming unbelieving and be a believer. 
That's what that literally says. It's to stop something that you're doing. So Thomas's heart, I think because he was scammed, because he, he felt scammed, because he felt like what he believed was not true, he had, his heart had started to harden. He had be, was becoming unbelieving. All that he'd experienced previously with Jesus, none of that made sense. And Jesus knew that, so Jesus came to him. Personally, experientially, and offered himself how did Jesus know that? I mean, no one taught. He knew. He, he heard. And just like today, you might, if you're honest, I like Thomas. He's an honest skeptic. He's an honest skeptic. I think he wanted to believe. But the circumstances had led him away. Maybe that's why he missed the meeting. He couldn't bear to go. Stop being, stop becoming unbelieving and be a believer. And, and I would encourage all of us to say, he, he doesn't say, stop becoming in, unbelieving and start praying. I mean, start researching Thomas. Start investigating, although he did give him the opportunity to investigate. So it seems that being believing is something that we can choose to do. It's a matter of our will. And you may not get this kind of evidence that Thomas got. Jesus might not show. He might. Maybe that's not the kind of evidence you want. Maybe there's no evidence that would do it for you. Maybe you've just got your mind made up and that's all there is to it and you're just not believing no matter what. And this is why I like Thomas. Because as Jesus presents himself, he was an honest skeptic. How do we know? Look what he says next. Then Thomas answered, verse 28, and said to him, my Lord and my God. Did Thomas say, let me get my microscope out. Let me see those wounds. Let me check this out. Did he even touch them? Did he even need the proof that he'd asked for? There's no evidence, even though the pictures of Thomas, the painting, show him with his little finger extended trying to investigate. That's how kids look at stuff. They say, can I see it? And what they really mean is, can I touch it? Can I hold it? Can I play with it? Thomas is, he, never, he doesn't, by this point, he doesn't need to, to touch. He sees, and what does he do? Once he's presented with the evidence... And the evidence is, is undeniable. He recognizes a decision has to be made. He, he knows it. And that's what I appreciate. Because some of you have continued to reject obvious evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And, and I think that there's nothing that would bring you except a decision to look at what's already there in front of you. There is so much evidence for the existence of God. Amen. There is so much evidence for the resurrection. And this is what I like. Listen, all of you that are skeptics, all of you that, are, that, that God's got to reach your heart through your head, I appreciate you. And here's why. Because once you get to where Thomas is and was, you will be the most hearty believer in the church. What I don't Appreciate what is, is harder is for someone who just sort of casually says, well, I believe, but they don't really, and they sort of pretend to, and there's never really any conviction, and there's never really any fruit, and they just kind of show up, not with a skeptic. When a skeptic is converted, they're serious about it. When they believe, they believe. And this is what Thomas says. Thomas says, my Lord, which means I'm going to serve you, and my God, refers to Jesus as God. What becomes of Thomas? What happens, at, what's the rest of the story, if you like Paul Harvey? 
The rest of the story is that Thomas goes 3,000 miles to India. And there are 27 million Christians, according to an article in National Geographic, 27 million Christians in India that attribute and trace their faith back to the testimony of one man who we call Doubting Thomas, who was a very fervent and zealous believer and missionary to him. 27 million. And that is where he was martyred. He was speared in the back. And that's still commemorated there in India. You can find the place where he was martyred. But don't take my word for it on Thomas. Let me introduce you to two other people real quickly. Uh, Josh McDowell. Anybody heard of Josh McDowell? As a young man, Josh McDowell considered himself an agnostic. Means uh, sort of a belief in God, but don't know. He doesn't know us. We can't know him. But he considered himself an agnostic. Agnostic means uh, without knowledge. And believed that Christianity was worthless. After being challenged to intellectually examine the claims of Christianity, Josh discovered compelling and overwhelming evidence for the reliability of the Christian faith. That's where he said, my Lord and my God. After believing in Jesus Christ, John's life, uh, Josh's life changed uh, dramatically as he experienced the power of God's love. He went to seminary instead of law school, and he became involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. He has spoken to more than 10 million young people through over 23,000 lectures in at least 113 countries. During his 47 years of ministry, Josh has authored or co-authored 108 books, including More Than a Carpenter, which has been translated into over 85 languages, and New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which has been recognized by World Magazine as one of the century's most influential books. All that from a skeptic, from a former skeptic. How about Lee Strobel? Anybody heard of Lee Strobel? Lee was educated at the University of Missouri and Yale Law School. So you can't say he's a dummy. He's easily, he's easily fooled. By the way, isn't it interesting that tomorrow is April Fool's Day? Did you think about that? Here we are talking about the resurrection. You go, I don't believe tomorrow is April Fool's Day. Well, the Bible says a fool says in his heart there's no God. Amen. Yale Law School. He was a professional journalist for 14 years with the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers, winning Illinois' top honors for investigative reporting and public service journalism from the UPI. He was an atheist, but in 1980, he began an investigation that would alter the course of his life forever. Observing the transformation of his wife, following her conversion to Christianity, he began exploring the evidence supporting the truthfulness of the Christian faith. What he discovered eventually led to his own commitment to Christ in 1981. Recounting the investigation process, he remarked, some people are more experiential. They like to experience things, like Thomas. But because I come from a law background, a legal background, and a journalism background, I tend to respond to, to facts and evidence. My way of processing my spiritual journey was to ask the question, is there any evidence that supports Christianity being true? Well, he knows how to sort through confusing facts and data in order to get to the bottom of the truth. And as a formal legal affairs editor... He has set, sat in courtrooms and police departments and done countless interviews to search out the story and get the facts. He said, I proceeded all, uh, to gather all the evidence, pro and con, and be as thorough as I could and ask all the tough questions, and then I subject them to the scrutiny of a skeptic. I determined to remain open and vowed that I would respond to whichever direction the evidence points. I think that is a rational way to behave. That is to say, if there is convincing evidence then the most rational and logical thing I could do would be to follow that evidence regardless of which direction it took me. 
the nearly two-year process led him to the conclusion that the evidence overwhelmingly supports Christianity as being true. And this is what he's, uh, one final quote. In short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Another former atheist and skeptic. And so you see what I'm saying about Thomas. When a skeptic gets it, they get it all the way. And once they're convinced, they're convinced all the way. So what is Jesus' response to this? Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Right, sure, of course. But there's a beatitude here, blessed or happy or oh, how happy are those who have not seen and yet believed. So for those of you that say, well, I've got to have this experience. I've got to see it for myself. Okay, I understand that. But you can wait miserably upon God to reveal himself in just the way, and then as soon as he reveals himself in the way you're asking, you change ways. Now it's a different way. But evidently, you can believe without seeing. And do you know what that's called? That's called faith. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. And I say the word yet, because it's things that will be seen. Jesus is in heaven, still retaining the scars, Revelation tells us, as a lamb having been slaughtered. He will still appear in that way, and, you, and, and he will be seen at that time. This is why I had you mark First Peter. If you'll go with me to First Peter. Verse 8. Peter encouraging the Christians in their persecution and in the trials that they're going through. First Peter 1.8. Is that what I said, First Peter 1.8? Are we all there? Okay, good. Whom having not seen... You love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What's that? Though now you do not see him? Right. We don't see him. We love someone we haven't personally seen, unless somehow he's revealed himself to you in a a vision or dream or something, and, and that's not an everyday occurrence. That's a unique experience that God gives to certain people for his purposes. But the majority, the vast majority of the church lives by faith, not sight. We, and we love him even though we haven't seen him. We understand what he's done for us. And that through him, uh, though you do not see him, yet believing, what's the response? You rejoice. Hey, I can rejoice in the truth even though I haven't experienced the truth. We were in a museum a number of years ago. This is a fascinating thing. And keep your place right there in in 1 Peter. We'll come back to that. Um, We were in a museum a number of years ago, and the kids were were young. And maybe you've been to, like, the natural history-type museums, and you go in, and there's this this earth, just a big sphere, and there's this pie-shaped piece cut out of it, right? And there's the core, and there's this layer, and there's that layer, and there's the mantle, 
And, and we go, oh, look what's in the, look at that picture. You know, the center of the earth, it's this molten thing. And, and Jacob said, has anybody ever been there? I said, no. Then how do we know? I said, go see your mother. <laughs> I said, I don't know. How do we know what the center of the earth is made of? How do we get that? You know how close? I, I did a little research because that. Kids make us do, you know, they make us research. You know, mom, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. You know? It's been said that the human race knows more about certain distant galaxies than it does about the ground that lies beneath its very feet. In fact, while it took the famous Voyager 1 satellite 26 years to exit our solar system, uh, relying, uh, relaying measurements to Earth from 16.5 billion kilometers away, it took about the same amount of time for humanity to penetrate a mere seven miles into the Earth's surface. That's roughly a third of the way through the crust. The crust, it's 4,100 miles to the core. We haven't even been close. And yet we believe in the second-hand testimony of seismological uh, information that scientists gather who have never seen it. And yet we walk into a scientific museum and we go, yeah, Earth's core, made of iron. We know that. How do you know? Well, I don't know how I know. I believe it, even though I've never seen it. See? So you can. You can believe, even though you've not seen. And it's not blind faith, because all of the evidence points you directly to the existence of God and his son, Jesus Christ, who on Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was and that he holds the key to death in Hades and, and has conquered death for once and for all for those who believe in him. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, what's the fruit? What's the fruit of your skepticism? That's what I want to ask you this morning. How's it working for you to be skeptical? Are you finding yourself, as we, we can go back to John now, but are you finding yourself rejoicing in your skepticism? Being a skeptic is just a great way to live. And just watch, you know, there are so, the testimonies of people that have believed in this church without seeing and the joy they experience and the change. Just talking to a woman that's fairly new to the faith, got saved not too long ago, and for, to hear, she'd been on the women's retreat, and to hear her say, I got a new life. I'm not the same person I used to be. And to be able to look up at the sky and enjoy the, the magnificence of God and the billions upon billions of stars and to sit down at the dinner table and give thanks and have someone to thank What's the fruit of your skepticism, skeptic? How's that working out for you? Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with a life? Well, the final part of this passage, verse 30, says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's what it's about. It's not about material things. It's not about getting a better job or having my marriage fixed up. It's about life. It's about spiritual life. And if you don't understand it, if you will not believe, 
all we can do is continue to badger you. Because we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord, he is good. He is good. Isn't he, folks? Amen. The Lord is good. So I'm going to invite Phil up uh, and the praise team to sing a, a final closing song. Yes, Phil, we have a, a song to, to end with. And as, as the song is playing, I'm just going to be sitting up here. And I know on Easter morning, it's, it's quite a mixed crowd. Friends are here. Relatives are here. Folks that aren't normally here are here. And I pray that, that during this service, you've been convicted. I'm just not going to be shy and bashful about that. I pray that the Lord has snuck up on you. And that you are questioning everything about Jesus Christ. Because I appreciate that Thomas wasn't willing to, li- to just lay it down. Whether you not, or not you believe in the earth's core being iron or whatever it is or molten or not molten, that's a small thing. If, your decision about Jesus Christ is the biggest decision you will ever make. Either he is who he says he is or he's not. We believe that he is. And your decision to follow him to believe, I recognize, uh, changes everything. It's a game changer. It changes your relationships. It ch- changes potentially your friendships. It changes the way you live. changes the way you think. changes the way you hope and the way you dream. changes the way you understand the world when you get up in the morning. changes the way you think about decisions you have to make. changes the way you look at other people. changes the way you think about your career your family, everything. And so I recognize this is a huge decision. And I don't want you to make it just on an emotional thing. But if the Lord has touched your heart, then don't deny it. Thomas said, I will not believe. But then in the end, he could not deny I will not believe, Thomas, you can't deny. You can't deny what you've seen in your spouse. You can't deny what you've seen in your kids. You can't deny what you've seen over thousands of years of testimonies of Christians and their changed lives and the things that they do because of following Jesus Christ. It's clear. There's so much evidence. And we who believe invite you who are skeptical to join us. To join us in our joyful belief in Jesus Christ. To surrender your life and, and, and finally, to receive life. So as the last song is playing, are we going to stand, Phil? Is that... Yeah, let's stand. Let's stand. And if you came with somebody, and, and, you just to, and if you want to come down here, you want to receive the Lord, you want to enter into all that He's promising to you, then the person who brought you, who nagged you to get here, will walk down with you. They'll bring you down Uh, And we'll pray with you and we'll celebrate because heaven celebrates when a soul is saved. Amen? Amen. Amen.